Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Are you ready to unlearn nutrition? Are you ready to put aside everything you currently understand about healthy eating and nutrition and just give me an hour and a half of your time to explore if all of those things are in actual fact true? If you are, fantastic. I promise you this podcast and the links that we provide thereafter have the opportunity to completely shatter your paradigm as it relates to nutrition. See, for many different reasons, and the motives are religious, the motives are power, their money, profit, industry, we have been given nutritional guidance that does not necessarily favor our optimal health. I know that sounds ridiculous, sounds very dramatic, it sounds like as if I'm some quack, but I promise you, as you start to peel back the onion of the last hundred years of nutritional guidance, and then the industry that has blossomed in support of that nutritional guidance, as well as the healthcare system to try and fix the sickness that this food system is creating, you will realize that we have been led down the garden path. We have been given food and told to eat foods that do not support our health where disease is now common and chronic, that shouldn't be the case. And this podcast with Brian Sanders gives you the opportunity to explore for yourself whether you believe in the current model or whether there is a better place for you, your family, and the people you care about. Brian is a fellow podcaster with a fantastic podcast called Peak Human, and I highly encourage you to go check it out after the show. He has interviewed some of the best people in nutritional science, the healthcare system, and ancestral health. He is also a filmmaker. I'm super excited about this. He is putting together a film that should release shortly in summer 2019 called Food Lies. Now, this film is hoping to expose all the lies, deception, and disinformation that you've been given around nutrition and the supply chain of food so that you, for the first time, can be given all the information to make the right decisions for you without the vegan propaganda of films such as Cowspiracy, Fork Over Knives, or What the Health. And Brian's a pretty special guy. I mean, he has given up his corporate career in pursuit of exploring the nutritional space and going back in time and speaking to loads of people because he deeply cares. He deeply cared for his parents. He deeply cared for his health. And then once realizing what he learned, he wanted to dig deeper and then share that information with us all. And I think that is an incredible gift he's given us. And he's also got the benefit of connecting the dots, listening to experts from all walks of life and trying to find the connected tissue that brings their themes together in a cohesive view of what optimal human health is and what the optimal human diet should look like, or at least the framework that we should be living by. Guys, you should really enjoy this conversation. I know I loved it. It was a lively debate. It went back and forth. We covered a ton. And as I say, there are a ton of references of experts that we cite throughout this discussion that when you click into the show notes, you will be able to go straight to 
the next interview, the next interview, listen to great people. And through that journey, and hopefully I don't consume too much of your time as you explore this, you potentially could grasp optimal nutrition for yourself and your family and the people you care about in a way you have never done before. It is honestly focused on you being you and being as healthy as you possibly can. And for that, I absolutely appreciate Brian. I loved the conversation. I hope you do too. And if you want to get involved, then I would encourage you to share this podcast with others that need this insight. Enjoy the episode, guys. Adaptation. Damn, I am so, so psyched today, guys. Um, over the last month or so, I feel like I've literally had a brain transplant. I've realized just how much of the nutritional facts I've held gospel and close to my heart are an actual fact, highly questionable at best. I've literally been on a rampage, consuming insane amounts of information from tons of sources. And to be honest, getting super passionate <laughs> and perhaps a little bit obsessional about finding the truths in nutrition and in, in busting those commonplace lies that we're led to believe. And in particular, I've been absolutely devouring the amazing content from our guest today. I've been linking to his podcast, Peak Human, like crazy, and I'm sure people are getting a bit bored of that. But why? Well, it's because he's got some incredible guests who just keep blowing my mind. More importantly, this guy has quit a high-paying job and put his security on the line to expose the truth of how to live optimally through great nutrition, to get that information out to the masses. But he's not just doing that through his podcast, he's also producing a feature film that is very close to being released. A film that looks to correct the balance from such documentaries like Fork Over Knives, Cowspiracy, and What the Health. I simply can't wait to check it out, guys, and I'm pretty sure we're all going to love it. I also can't wait to get talking to this guy because he's genuinely an awesome person and I've got tons of questions to ask and I'm sure he's got loads to share over his journey over the last couple of years. So let's just get this started. Brian Sanders, my man, welcome to the Adapt Nation podcast. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm really excited to share all this stuff. This is my, my real passion here is just spreading this information I've picked up. And I can see that. I can hear that. Every episode I've listened to, I just feel that you're so incredibly prepared. You get fantastic guests. You guide them down a path, which is helping people explore the truth and kind of debunk a bunch of myths. And, you know, for me, someone who I feel relatively well informed about nutrition, I was just like, damn, I've got, <laughs> I've got to go back to the drawing board. It's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, well. So, so listen, Brian. I mean, I I'm I'm familiar with your backstory, uh, but perhaps you can share some stuff I'm not I'm not too clued up on. But for the guys listening, I would really love them to get a bit of a deeper dive into Brian the man and 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 your journey that your journey to perhaps your current way of eating now, uh, mm -hmm. the creation of your film, what's driven that process, and let's just explore, you know, why you are where you're at right now and the kind of energy you have towards sharing the truths that you've learned. Yeah, I'd love to. So I think maybe I should start in the middle, right? In the middle of my life, 
I was like everyone else, you know, I was 29. I thought I could eat whatever I want, do whatever I want. I was pretty athletic my whole life. I could pretty much, you know, eat whatever I wanted because I worked out. And then I got some terrible news about my parents, right? My, my mom already had Alzheimer's, but she had to retire and she was getting worse. And my dad was diagnosed with cancer. He had prostate cancer. And I didn't think much of nutrition when it came to this at the time. But then I started researching it and realized that these chronic diseases that we think are normal and we don't really link to what we eat have a huge component, huge on what we're eating on a daily basis. And why wouldn't it? This is the food that encounters our body, right? It, it touches our entire digestive tract and it affects everything we do. It fuels our body. And we somehow don't think that what we eat affects that, right? And so it just really shook me up. It's the same time a lot of people when they hit around 30, they need to take a look at their diet anyway, right? That's a time when things just, your metabolism slows down, you could say, or really what I think happens is you can't tolerate these modern foods as well anymore. It finally catches up to you, these crazy modern foods that we eat today that just aren't normal. So here, here, here man, I've, I'm, I'm 38 and around about 32, 33. Yeah. I just looked in the mirror and realized that I let myself go, even though again, athletic, relatively lean my whole life feel invincible, like I don't need to get any sleep, can eat whatever I like, I don't put on any weight. I'm just like, you know, just go crush it, work 18 hours a day, only to realize that, hey, I mean, this this is what it feels like to get old and just <sighs> accepting that's the way it is, right? Until you, yeah. until you learn more. Well, so that's the problem is so a lot of people around me kind of accepted that that's just, oh, it's just getting older. They kind of fall into this trap of when you, you get older, you just get a dad bod. You know that term. It's like, oh yeah, you just kind of get fat as you grow older, and you, oh yeah, of course, you just can't play sports anymore. It's like, yeah, you, you know, I'm 35. I'm like a dad. You know, I have a, a two year old, but that's not the case at all. And and I can get into all this later. I mean, I'm doing a decathlon. I I trained for three hours yesterday at the UCLA track, and you know, everyone there's 19, 20, and I'm you know have as much energy as they do. So, so really, I started looking at this ancestral way of eating, right? I, I, I think a lot of people start there with guys like Mark Sisson. You know, it was, it was great to have him on my podcast. It was like a life goal. I played ultimate Frisbee with him in Miami. It was like, uh, you know, this big achievement for me. But he, he kind of got me into this and my friends got me into this because they've been following his work. And, it, and it's so simple when you start reading about how we used to live compared to how we live now. That's the, that's the biggest story, right? If you look at the top level of all this, everything to do with nutrition or disease or anything that's wrong with our society today, you can kind of just boil it down to the difference between how we're supposed to live as humans and how we live in a modern society. And not all of that's bad, right? It's like, I don't want to say we can't use the internet anymore or, you know, all these, you know, use a plane to travel. But we have to just kind of understand how these things affect us and how we can live optimally I, I in think, this environment. I, I think on that point, right, you know, for how do you, Brian? 
35. 35, okay. So I'm 38, but pretty much the same age. And for our, our entire lives, we we haven't had any other context for, you know, the way of eating, the way of operating, the way life should be, right? You know, I remember growing up and eating crap unknowingly by my mum. She was just making the choices she felt was appropriate. But in hindsight, they were awful choices. Um, but I didn't know any better. And I didn't know any better into my teens and into my 20s. And when you don't have any other context and you see obesity and diseases and chronic unavoidable symptoms of age, right? You just mm -hmm. accept that to be truth. And um, it's so bleedingly obvious that nutrition plays a role, but no one kind of stopped me to think about that up until recently, mm -hmm. the last couple of years. Uh, so I'm guessing mm -hmm. that's kind of that kind of a bit of a eureka moment for you as you start to explore the space. Exactly. So when we just think it's normal now to eat cereal, to eat a donut for a break, snack, to, all the things we do are just normal. So to jump ahead, when, when we try to tell people to maybe change and rethink what they're eating, they're just up in arms. Like, this is what we do. This is what everyone does. This is what I eat for breakfast. This is delicious. This is, so you have to shake your head a little bit and realize that just because we do it now and just because it's delicious doesn't mean it's normal or healthy, right? So you have to reframe this. And what's also great is once you reframe this and you make these changes and they set in, it is delicious and it is healthy and it is normal. It's your new normal, right? And, and, and I got there and it was, you know, when you get to these different foods that we can talk about later, but... Yes. So what happened was my eyes were opened. I realized that we were doing everything wrong and I went down this path and I thought I was healthy at the time and I started losing weight. I didn't even know I had, you know, I was wearing, you know, what, whatever, like 32 waist shorts. And now I'm at like 28, 29, yeah, you know, and I, you just lose fat. You didn't know you had. And, and so I think one of my biggest messages is that people out there who think that they're doing fine, they think they feel normal, they're probably not. I mean, if you look at the state of all of our countries, our new normal is just probably 15 pounds overweight, but we don't realize it. So once you start going down this route, you'll, you'll, you'll find so many improvements. Like I, I really was a Eureka moment when I realized that I had these 10 years of chronic overuse injuries in my arms from using the computer and this inflammation that's it, it wouldn't go away i thought i would never be able to use the computer again because it was what, just kept getting we, worse each what year. are we talking about like carpal tunnel and carpal that? tunnel yeah i mean it was just it was just all that carpal tunnel stuff but it, it was even more because it's beyond just in that one area it was in my wrists and arm forearms and and it was be, and then so i just stopped eating some of the last carbohydrates I was eating, I was eating just like some grains and, you know, just like a tortilla or like piece of bread or, you know, these processed foods. And I, I was already going low carb, right? So I was only eating these like once a day. I cut those out and a few months later, everything was gone. I lost even more fat I didn't have. I had no more inflammation. It, it was just amazing. So that's when I really got on board with this journey to tell other people about this and was right, when i and did you change your diet to attempt to correct that those 
overuse injuries or the carpal tunnel symptoms? Or was that just a byproduct of you changing your diet because you just wanted to improve your your percep- perception of being, you know, being well yeah. and having wellness? Yeah, yeah. No, it's completely an accident. I had no idea that it was even possible to fix that. I just gave up on it. It was just this is the rest of my life. You know, at one point I was even in a cast in the early days of this. Like this, this was like bad problems. And then, you know, you just accept it. And then it, it, it was so crazy when it went away. And then I even did a test. I started eating some bad foods again because I had them at my house after a party and it came back. So I, re- I really think it, it was from that. And, and then there's the bigger picture of the chronic disease where maybe people listening don't even understand that things like Alzheimer's and cancer, like I said, are very affected by what you eat. People just think, oh, well, that's just genetic. You're just screwed if you get them or you don't. And then once you get them, you're screwed. Well, I just released a podcast today with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who's reversing Alzheimer's. He's the first person documenting in the literature that these cases of cognitive impair are actually improving using his, these protocols, which is just diet and lifestyle. And they, again, then with cancer, I go to conferences now a lot and, you know, go to, the, they're using ketogenic metabolic therapies, you know, plus uh, hyperbaric oxygen to reverse brain tumors and shrink them. So, so a lot of this stuff, you got to just shake your head a little bit and realize that we're not helpless they're not, you're not doomed and that we have control. I, I think one of the revelations I'm kind of starting to come to terms with, hopefully not naively, I don't think it is naive, is that we've got this term chronic disease. And uh, the, the notion being is, hey, once you get this thing, you've got it for life, it's going to be, it's degenerative, and you're going to get worse and worse and worse, whether it's diabetes or you know, it's cancers or it's, uh, you know, depression or, or a whole host of kind of, you know, symptoms and uh, issues. And part of me is thinking based on everything I've been learning, the stuff from you and the stuff from some other fantastic uh, podcasts, is that much of these symptoms aren't chronic. They're chronic for as long as you have the lifestyle that you lead. But if you if you take some radical steps to transform the way in which you lead your life and you know the food you put in your mouths and you you treat you know that that relationship with food with respect, people left and right are, are, are removing these these diseases they thought they had for life, uh, and di- diabetes is probably the most most obvious right that the oh the, absolutely but everyone's saying it's chronic right you go to our NHS our our healthcare service providers, and they say, no, it's chronic. You got that. You're you're on drugs for life. Yeah, type two diabetes. You're referring to, and and yeah, it's it's such a problem. I mean, there's so many stories here. You can go down any rabbit hole, and I'm trying to hit as many in the film as possible. But just the healthcare system we have, and it used to be, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it was you actually treated the root cause of the disease, right? And we, even though we didn't even know as nearly as much and we were doing better, I think, except for certain, you know, like acute diseases that we, we didn't know how to treat, we were doing better because we treated the root cause. And then this medical system kind of took over with these, this invention of drugs. And we thought, well, this is it. We, we can cure everything with a drug. And we kind of just shifted and thought of everything under that light of what kind of drug can we prescribe to fix this instead of 
fixing the root cause and how can this be a business? <laughs> it turned into a business like anything else, right? It, anything becomes an industry. It becomes driven by profit. And it's not evil. It's not like people who sell iPhones. Apple's not evil. They're trying to sell a product and people like the product, right? It's like medical doctors are not evil and these systems are not exactly evil, but they're kind of hijacked by making money and just under the paradigm that they they think it's normal, right? It's just what they operate in is where, well, we have this hospital, we have to pay the bills and we have to make more money and we have to get a bigger hospital. And everything changes <laughs> in a negative way. So I'm kind of a, in the middle of, you know, people thinking it's conspiracy or people just realizing this is how business works. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a depopulation agenda at play here. I don't think I don't think there's a you know mass annihilation. Someone at you know the top of their ivory tower, you know, stroking their beard, look, waiting for us all to die. I don't think that's the case. Albeit, the more you poke into some of some of the you know Seventh Day Adventist stuff, when you poke into you know some of the mm -hmm. uh, motivations, as you're rightly saying, through industry. Um, their motivations might be pure, but they're not necessarily caring about us, the individual. They're caring about the religion or the ideology or the profits or mm -hmm. uh, the growth of, of an industry. And uh, that's quite sad because when we think of healthcare, we think, when we think about food, when we think about food guidelines, I think most people, 99% of people, would assume that our nutritional guidance, our RDAs, our recommended you know, minimum doses of food and things we should eat, our food pyramids, they're there to protect me, the individual. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it's this this for me. Well, I, I just think it's more about it's more about GDP. It's more about what do we have a supply of so we can feed the demand we have in our country. It's about, you know, driving our healthcare system. It's about, you know, making sure there's educated people to go to work and there's people to get into the Navy and fight and so forth. It's more about the nation and power than it is about me, the individual, living optimally well. I don't know, that sounds it sounds um defeatist, but it feels like that's how most of our kind of nutritional practices are built around. What it, do you think? It kinda is. It kinda is. And there's evidence of this. And I've talked to some different people who research this and they they say that some of these decisions we found, you know, a trail of of, you know, documents that show that we base them on, say, the welfare system in, in our country is, is the bottom line of how we need to give out food stamps, right? And if we are paying for them, we need to have things that we can afford. And so they push different foods, like these corn, wheat, and soy, and these cheap foods, as something that we need to eat because we can afford to give people these foods with our food stamp system. Right? So that's, that's, that's one example. And also, people use environmental impacts to influence the decisions. Right? I, I understand we can get into all this environmental stuff. And it's a huge problem. But when you're looking at dietary guidelines and what's healthy for an individual, we can't be looking at the environment at that time. Right? We need to figure that out later. But well, when we're doing our nutrition guidelines, there's only one directive is to find the, the healthiest thing that we, we know humans need. Right? So 
it's the problem is all these other things and interests leak in. And I think the problem with that, though, Brian, is, you know, it's easy for you and I to say, you know, we're enlightened. <laughs> we've seen the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a sense of what's right and wrong from a nutrition perspective. Yet, you know, there is a bigger picture at play. You know, that, you know, that a lot of the food we eat today, we eat because it's cheap calories. It's cheap calories, which served a great purpose when we didn't have an abundance of calories to feed a growing population or a population that we wanted to grow exponentially and to do so we needed cheap ways to feed the masses and i think we're starting to realize that whilst calories are abundant doesn't mean nutrition's abundant and we're we're leaving people hanging you know surviving through you know having enough calories having enough quote-unquote energy but having far from enough energy day to day mm -hmm. and how they feel how they look how they operate and their body's letting them down i mean do you want to kind of dig into that a little bit more like the yeah. The, the the idea of you know cheap calories versus nutrition and kind of how these two things have kind of disconnected over the last 50 60 years or so yeah that's a really interesting one and people come at me a lot you know people from all sides love to try to tear you down and pick you apart and people are always like oh well you know what well, look at this population the japanese are eating rice and they're doing great or this you know the katavans well they're they're this a natural living people that eat a ton of sweet potatoes and they're doing great and Simone in Bolivia you, there's always places where you could point to where people are doing okay eating a high carbohydrate diet or but you have to look at the bigger picture and and you like you said so th these foods were invented to feed people I mean in, in Egypt to feed the people building the pyramids we basically think we invented agriculture around around that that's part of the driving force of it so so, so the biggest thing is surviving is not thriving so you can you can tell me you can point to all these cultures all you want and for one they're not living in our modern environment right some of them where they're not eating refined grains and sugar and vegetable oils and the really bad things right they're eating their you know of their whole foods you know they're out in the the you know nature hunting and gathering so for one that you got to take that off the table but these people that are eating these carbohydrate filled diets of empty calories they're surviving and not thriving right and I, and we can go into some details on that so there's a study a hundred that looks at 105 countries and it correlates height to their diet and you can see that over many generations, the population changes based on what they're eating, right? We all came from the same ancestor out of Africa, you know, millions of years ago and then hundreds of thousands of years ago in the modern human form. So what happened is there's all different people of different sizes and shapes and because they've adapted to their environment and their foods. But this study shows these correlations, which again, we can talk about epidemiology versus, you know, correlation versus causation and, and that kind of thing. But these are just correlations we're talking about, but they, they there's a huge difference between the quality of protein people eat and their height. And we also know that height is correlated to health, right? We've seen it recently in say in wartime where we have less protein and less animal foods available, the whole population height goes down, right? This is, this is well documented. And this is the same 
that happens over generations when people don't get enough quality protein. And in this study, it, it says the highest quality protein are the animal foods, the animal protein of, of whether it be dairy or other meat or fish. And that these are the most, we know these are the most bioavailable forms of protein, the most complete forms of protein. This is this, the protein our bodies can use with a full amino acid profile. And when we don't have that, our health suffers. And these correlations are so amazing where it's a direct linear correlation. You can look at a line that goes straight up and to the right. And on the bottom left, you have countries like in Southeast Asia who have the least amount of animal protein and they are the shortest people. And then at the top right, it's a straight, it's a line, right? It's how, how good the correlation is, is how tightly it fits to the trends line, right? The average. And it goes, they're all following it exactly. As you go up in animal protein, it goes up in height to the these like Norwegian populations, the tallest people in the world that eat the most animal protein. These are the people in the highest latitudes up up north in the, where they have to rely on more animal foods. So, you know, you can say this is just a correlation, but... I, I really believe that this shapes our genetics and you know there's a lot of PhDs that have theories about this more than just me but it's something we don't really like to talk about it's like oh well yeah these asian countries are pretty short oh and these other people are really tall and no one wants to talk about stuff like that but there's a reason that things happens right over hundreds and thousands of generations so and I, I think it's it's fair to say that whilst certain cultures may have a you know carb heavy diet it isn't necessarily through choice it's it's through choice now you know it's because it's it's culturally accepted it may be a it may be part of their religious kind of kind of system of the kind of foods they eat but it wasn't necessarily through choice mm, um that's and, a good point and yes you know i think it's so easy for people to point towards cultures today that you know living predominantly off rice and you know vegetable but as you say that correlation is clear people can see it you i know we're speaking in very general terms we can see that height differential we can see the kind of like you know does, does someone's body look strong and and big now i guess the challenge or the counter to that would be would be someone like stephen gundry that audience may or may not be familiar with but he has a kind of reverse hypothesis his his, his view is you know protein drives growth growth beyond the period of which you need to grow could pot potentially accelerate aging uh, and, and bring bring about an earlier death and actually you want to be in almost a starvation mode a you want to have a low metabolic rate um, shorter people generally live longer he'll say and he'll talk about cultures that are kind of living on an almost sustenance uh, way of living where they're just under what they need and they seem to be doing well because there's lots of autophagy there's lots of you know cell breakdown and repair and um, they're they're not constantly in quote unquote growth mode potentially growing cancers and other kind of deleterious effects in their body now i'm not too like signed up to that as an idea but you know his hypothesis is protein should be reduced to really a bare minimum at least animal protein now i don't know if you've given that any thought but it's definitely opposing and i think that's what makes yeah. today's world so difficult because there are people in completely different camps claiming the same benefits what do you think about that 
this is such a huge topic and I thought a lot about it recently and I actually just did a post about it today and I was gathering my thoughts and, you know, for the film even and making a graphic about this exactly. So what you're kind of talking about here is something called antagonistic pleiotropy, which is something that's good for you now is it might not be good for you in the future, right? So it's, it, it may be good to, yes, build muscle in the short term, but maybe in the long term, it might not be great. So that's kind of what his theory is. And, and I think it's, it's wrong. And I, I can go into a few things of why that, I think that. And for one thing, if you're looking at an aging population, someone with more muscle mass and more eating more protein has much higher rates of longevity and, and well, mortality, not dying, right? Because they, most people get sarcopenic, right? They lose their muscle mass. And, and one of the greatest ways people die is by falling and they, or they get sick and their health goes downhill. And if you maintain your muscle mass, this won't happen. So I don't really understand why someone would be recommending lower protein when, when as a nation and as a world, I feel like we're protein deficient. And also, well, okay, so he, read, he wrote the book called The Plant Paradox, Stephen Gendry. And he, I read it. I, I read all these books. So, so one of the bigger pictures here is that I don't know if the, all the answers, and I'm not completely set in my mind either on, on, on this, but I look at all sides and I try to figure this stuff out, right? So there's other guys who I agree with as well that kind of say, maybe do a more plant-heavy diet. There's Mark Sisson, you know, and I thought I would believed in everything he said, but then he's like, make half your plates plant, you know, and stuff like that. And so then I started thinking about it, and I did some math, and I did some calculations, and I looked at a sample day of eating, and if you eat a salad with, you know, a few vegetables on it and some salmon, that's that's about 70, 80% plants on your plate, right? Then, then if you so say that's one meal and then for your, your big meal, you had some steak or some ground beef with, you know, either say a burger without a bun, right? You have some, uh, some fry, I mean, yeah, sorry, not fry. So you have some ground beef, you have cheese, you have maybe a piece of bacon, and then you have uh, some side dishes of onions and spinach. I use this as an example, just so half the plate was was onions and spinach, and then you had, you could have like a big burger patty and some bacon. Okay, you do the math, out of 2,000 calories, 1,800 were from animal foods, and only 200 were from plant foods. Okay, that's 90% animal foods. When you're eating a big salad with just a bit of salmon on it, and a big plate of vegetables that's half full of vegetables and half full of meat, 90% animal foods by calories. So I think a big thing going on here is that people don't realize is they're getting a lot of animal foods and protein in their diet by calories. It's, it's the majority. And so the, so I think that we don't disagree as much as I thought that if you're not eating carbohydrates, you're not eating the refined grains, seeds, and vegetable oils, those are where all the calories are coming from. These empty calories. If you get rid of those, then you have to replace it with more, say, vegetables and meat and fish and eggs. And you're actually getting a way higher ratio of animals to plants. 
Yeah, I'm 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 fascinated by by the nutrition of um, animal based foods. Uh, ever since I spoke to Sean Baker, that I know you you've spoken with and you're friends mm-hmm. with. I know he's going to be in your film, which sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I spoke with Paul Saladino, Doctor Paul Saladino, and he just blew my mind, just like left and right. It was incredible, um, and it's done really well on the Adaptation podcast. But what I I found most fascinating when I start when I start to ask some of the bigger questions, and I arrive at the same conclusion every time, which is why is something that is so good for me one got hardly any calories, two got hardly any bioavailable protein three got no dha and you know useful omega-3s and four generally it it doesn't 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 provide the density that i need to survive why why would i evolutionary go about grazing all day long to find enough sustenance to survive When I could go have myself a you know portion of meat that I've just hunted down and go for a day, just from the efficiency standpoint, it makes sense that we would have done that. And then secondarily, given the bioavailability, the density, as well as the toxicity that a lot of plant compounds have, right? People don't realize this, but I think most people are having a plant dominant diet today, whether they're omnivores or vegans. You know, we're, as you say, with the the sugar, the coffee. The you know the chocolate combined with all the grains and the vegetable oils, then the starches. You do that before you even put any green on your plate. You're probably at like seventy percent plant mm-hmm. product. And we might have a token bit of meat, right? You now we, as as cultures, Western cultures, I don't think we have as much meat as people report we do. Uh, so we're having a plant dominant diet, yet we've got allergies to all sorts of plants. You know, whether it be peanuts or you know, various, uh, you know, FODMAP plants that seem to set us off. People always talk about gas and bloat. It's typically always plant-based products. And then we talk about, you know, the demonization of sugar. But what is that? That's coming from a a plant. And Mm -hmm. the more Mm -hmm. I kind of ask myself that question, Brian, the more I realize, like, there's a lot of problems, a lot of inefficiency, and a lack of, you know, digestible valuable consumable nutrition in plants yet that isn't what i've been told for 38 years have have you reached a similar kind of like view i know you eat plant food right this isn't a carnival discussion brian but yeah no what's your view on that yeah i'm okay there's so much to say so i was (laughs) completely tricked i fell for it i mean even up until a couple years ago i i was convinced that oh of course you know you gotta eat your vegetables there's they're healthy everything you're saying is what I found and I think is something I'm trying to expose to more people that there's no magical plant foods. They're not these magical, healthy things that we think they are. I think that vegetables, the only purpose they really serve us is taking up space from eating something worse. I think I'm convinced this is real. I had put this out on social media. I had processed foods are a negative one. Plant foods are a zero. Animal foods are a positive one. If you think of anyone's diet, you, I think you, and you, you, you know, like do some math and show what they're eating. I think you can find that all their benefits are coming from their animal foods and the plant foods are maybe just taking up space in their plate. So they're not eating the processed foods. You're not eating something worse. Like you mentioned all these high calorie, empty carbohydrate type foods, right? If you get rid of those, 
then what are you, else are you going to eat? Right. It's like it, you, you the plants, these like low density calorie foods are just kind of taking up space in your stomach. I, I, I seriously think that's what the benefit they provide is. And you're talking about ancestral, how you don't think we did collected all this. Well, I pretty much know we didn't collect all those. We look at all these studies and there's a, something called the optimum forging theory. And their scientists didn't find these hunter-gatherer tribes that we studied today collecting any of these low-calorie foods that don't provide us much nutrition. These these leafy greens and all this kind of stuff like that, we didn't get. I mean, yes, we got some honey, and yes, we got some tubers, but other than that, we didn't go for these foods. We did not. There, there, it doesn't make sense evolutionarily, just like your simple logic you're talking about. I mean, that's what we've seen in the science that we didn't have all these plant foods. We didn't cultivate these until recently. Even if we did have them, they were much smaller and less sweet, right? The, you know, the form of an apple was like a sour, small crab apple. And now today we have this giant, you know, sugar filled apple. So you're completely correct. Think about, you know, gorillas like are. Oh. They're chowing down, I think it's something like 40 pounds of food. I don't know if I've got my numbers exactly right. They're, they're eating a lot <laughs> all day, yeah. every day to get some of the nutrition out of empty empty food, right? Uh, for the most part, the leaves that they're eating. And then you look at ruminants, you know, they've got uh, a very specific digestive tract to be able to take uh, minimally available nutrition out of grasses and convert them into a high quality protein. You know, we, we're not built for that level of um, daily consumption. Uh, I don't think anyone would want to be grazing from the moment they wake up to the moment they went to bed. And Some people would... try. <laughs> These vegans, they try. These raw vegans. It just it just doesn't make sense, right? And then the whole raw thing, right? You know I, know, I know that's been a massive kick and like, you know, don't cook your vegetables, lock in the nutrition, all that kind of stuff. Made sense, right? Completely went through it. But as you think through that, like when when we see all the kind of digestive issues, and more importantly, like who eats a raw potato? No one. <laughs> who eats wheat it's without poisonous. milling it? Yeah. No one. Who eats you know coffee beans without you know significant process or you know co cacao beans? Who eats most of their vegetables without cooking? Now some people might eat you know raw, um, you know pepper salad, yeah, and then yeah, but people would suggest you shouldn't do that, but. I think my point is like if you look through ancient tribes, they did you know we we have documentation that you know grains been our in in our lives for at least ten thousand years, and you know we have been foraging for for plant plant foods, but we mostly done something with them, so they were digestible, they fermented, we pressure cooked them, we cooked them, we warmed them, we you know roasted them, we you know milled them, whatever. And again, evolutionary, before we had these tools and processes, would it have not made more sense to go, you know, whilst that, you know, bison's walking past, go eat that versus spend all my day trying to get very, very little nutrition out of the, you know, the vegetables <laughs> that are around me, maybe in abundance, but hey, they, they don't want me to be, don't want me to eat them. You know, I end up feeling nauseous when I start eating these plant foods. I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense as you kind of really ask those questions, Brian. Absolutely. And you bring up so many interesting points and I want to just let people look up some of this stuff on their own and you can see Mickey Bendor um, doing a podcast with him. He's wrote a paper called Human Fat Hunters 
And he's done all this research to show that that's exactly what we did. We went, we hunted giant woolly mammoth and these ancestors of elephants for most of history. If you're looking at pre-humans for millions of years, this is what we did. We, there was millions of them roaming the earth and they have not a great way to get away. They're not, they're not quick. <laughs> and once we developed the ability to either organize ourselves and, you know, push them off a cliff or get a simple spear and, you know, get up to close enough and get them with a spear. We, we have much evidence showing that this is what we've eaten. And we also know, yes, you're talking about the different, maybe this is repeating what, you know, guys like Paul Saladino have, have talked about, but all the anti-nutrient plants and oxalates and different things that we spent all of history trying to get rid of. And there's another guy, people can look up Dr. Bill Schindler, who's an archaeologist and, you know, paleontologist and looked at all these ancient, you know, peoples and what they did. And he can tell you about how our bodies have changed. And so it's so funny when vegans talk about, oh, well, we came from these primates and they eat plants all day. Our body has totally changed. Our digestive tract has totally changed. It's, it's, we don't have, yes, the rumen, these this type of stomach that digests plant matter. We've, we've changed to require the high nutrition of animal foods, right? So the only way we eat the plant foods is soaking, fermenting, sprouting, all these things. These, these, all the ancient cultures prepared them for hours and days to make them edible. And basically they were fallback foods, right? When we couldn't get a hunt or to supplement a hunt, we would need these types of foods. And if we did eat them, they required tons of preparation. And if we did eat them, they were probably these more starchy foods that actually had some more calories at least. But really, uh, yeah, I, I keep going in circles. There's so much going on in my head. I've talked to so many interesting people, but th there, there's so many stories here that are just against what people believe. If you can go back to that, right? You're basically talking about vegan propaganda. Like all, all the stuff you kind of bring up is what we all kind of think. It's like, oh, well, we should be eating lots of plant foods or we should, you know, it's bad for the environment to eat meat or all these things. It really comes from this, the people with the loudest voices, right? And we just, people just think about it. Okay, normal people just don't care that much about things, right? You're talking about the normal people. They just want to go about their life and eat like a piece of pizza. And the people who ha have the most skin in the game, the people who are trying the hardest, spending their time, money, energy, to go out and change the laws and protest and shut down a, you know, a, a restaurant are the vegans because they have their own, their own agenda. And so unfortunately, this is what makes the biggest waves. But would you say, um, actually, no, let, me, let me let me kind of detour just slightly. I, I'm I'm not that pessimistic, I guess. <laughs> from, mm -hmm. Maybe you've you've just been more exposed than I. <laughs> but you know, if I think through, you know, my almost forty years uh, of being on this planet, and you know, uh, what would have been on my mum's plate, uh, she was growing up. Vegetables have always featured, yet. I wouldn't necessarily feel that there was a, a strong kind of activist, vegan, vegetarian push mm -hmm. on our kind of nutritional system necessarily. It, or at least it wasn't obvious. Um, 
I, I suspect that you know vegetables through ag agriculture, uh, agricultural revolution offer us the macronutrients that we need, or at least to support energy requirements, right? So we go back to this mm -hmm. idea of sustaining populations, growing populations. Um, I think part of our what's on our plates today is a function of being able to feed our people. Um, so there's there's good enough, which give you macros in the short term. But what I think we're finding out is they're not giving us micronutrients in the long term. And it's micronutrients that are going to bring longevity and health. And I think we're absent of that with much of our diet today. Not you or I or, or people that are, you know, keen to mm -hmm. optimize their, their nutrition and really think about it. But for the super majority of people that kind of eat what's available and, you know, go to their supermarkets and restaurants and just eat what's, you know, socially acceptable and normal much of that food the nutrition's pretty poor yeah it will this is it's if you've heard of dr ted nyman this is his big yeah. theory is the protein to energy ratio and it's, we're talking about the protein leverage hypothesis and we're talking about the dilution of of protein and nutrients in our diet and this is what's allowing people to be obese and malnourished at the same time <laughs> it, it's so crazy it is, because your body's just not getting what it's, it needs and it keeps eating. So, so protein leverage hypothesis says that you eat animals, mammals mostly that we've studied, eat till they get an amount of protein, right? If they get, they want to require the amount and we could throw in micronutrients too. Like we think that animals eat until they get the required protein and nutrients. And if you're diluting these foods like we've done in our modern food environment and you're stuffing in corn, wheat, soy, sugar, refined grains, vegetable oils, all these things, you're stuffing these into our foods and that's replacing the protein and the micronutrients. So now we have to eat more to try to get enough of the basics, the building blocks that we need. And that's the simple idea of why our world is obese and malnourished at the same time. And I think it's very, very true. It's very simple and you can see it. And, and I don't know many people who have disproved it, that you just look at what we're doing. You look at the food composition and we know that the, it's less nutrients, less protein, more calories, more carbohydrates. And, and it's not hard to see the, the result of that. And it's once you start thinking like that, Brian, it's it's hard to not be uh, uh, start throwing conspiracies left and right in your own mind, right, <laughs> and start thinking through like, you know, what, you know, why are people saying I need to have so so much kind of carbs to fuel my performance during the day? Whether it be, you know, breakfast is the most important meal, carb up, or you're going to have an athletic performance, make sure you have tons of carbs because you need it because you know. You know, carbohydrates provide the glucose that give you the energy. Without that, you're going to basically be dead. So, like, you know, if I start every time, I can't ask myself like a, a foundational law, a con some conventional wisdom that's driven my food choices today. I can now start to see that there could have been an ulterior motivation behind some of those recommendations, and they not weren't necessarily because the information was true or in support of my health. And that that's quite a scary realization when you look around and start distrusting much of mm -hmm. what's around you. Um, are you are you cynical 
bitter, twisted, frustrated uh, about our kind of food system. Like as you look through the states right now, do you, do you get angry or, or where are you emotionally mm -hmm. at the moment? Yeah, I I mean, it's I've gone through all the stages, <laughs> the stages of grief, the anger, you know, sadness, <laughs> helplessness, despair. No, I, at this point, I've just accepted it. But you're 100 percent right. There's there is motivations and I can tell you there's motivations because I just started a, a grass-fed meat company and there's no money in meat. There's no profits. If you're selling fresh foods, you, right, it, it takes so much to grow them. There's not a high profit margin on them, right? So this is a real world example of me barely scraping by trying to sell someone a good product, right, here in America. And then you look at all the other foods that people are selling or things that I could have gotten into, which I don't believe in, would be the processed foods. And the more you dilute them with these cheap ingredients, the more money you make, right? There's no wonder this all happened. But again, it wasn't a conspiracy in a way because we got the green light. I mean, not we, the food companies got the green light to make these products because we made a mistake 60 years ago and thought that's saturated fat and cholesterol are bad for us, which is a whole big story in the movie. And you can talk about the Ansel Keys and, you know, there's against John Yudkin and they, they was two guys with competing hypotheses on why we had heart disease. And the problem is Ansel Keys won and he did a famous study, the seven country study, and he looked at all these different countries and found out what they ate. And what he kind of did is cherry pick seven of them and, and get rid of the other of the 22 and sh tried to show that it was saturated fat when in actuality it wasn't. And that if you look at all other countries, that there was no correlation. And so we kind of had this bad science. We didn't have all the right tools to do good science 60 years ago. And we just didn't have all the, the information we had now. And so we had this bad hypothesis and we needed to make some recommendations. It was kind of a crisis in America, at least, where we're, we wanted to give out these recommendations because of this rising problem and we just got it wrong got that gave the food industries a green light it's like hmm, well if fat is bad then we need to make low fat products well that's great because low fat products that's all we need to do is take out the fat and put in sugar because it still needs to taste good so we can fill our foods with cheap corn wheat and soy and sugar refined grains vegetable oils and we can make a ton of money they have a long shelf life. They can go in packages and we're going to call them low fat and we're going to call them healthy and we're going to call them heart healthy whole grains. And I don't know. I, I just, there's just so much to it. I can't say, is it a conspiracy? Is it not? It's all woven together. It's partly people just getting things wrong. It's partly companies trying to make money. It's partly just momentum. It's partly just what we believe in generational knowledge where it's just if you're taught something, you believe that and you continue it. If it's it's in your textbook, if we make one mistake six years ago and it gets in, you know, the, the ether of the society, it gets in the textbooks and then you just keep going with that, right? And, and you just don't know anything else and it's hard to question. And so now we're finally questioning this stuff and, and finding out. And that, that, that for me is so incredibly hard, Brian, because, you know, yeah, I'm on Adapt Nation's Facebook page, for example, and through just communicating with my friends online, I'm trying to offer up 
you know, what I'm learning and what I'm hearing from you guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm using critical thinking. I'm not getting blown with the, you know, the wind here. I'm trying to look at this logically, evolutionary, and, you know, through my own personal anecdote. And I'm reaching similar conclusions. And I'm offering some very contrasting uh, nutritional guidance, you know, the no, there being minimal need for fiber, for example, that mm -hmm. falls on deaf deaf ears. There's there's a violent yeah. opposition to that. It's like no, that can't be true. No one's no one's ever said that. It's absolutely critical. Don't be such a fool. Don't be a mug, right? And then then you'll get into the idea of maybe we don't even need plants. And then there's like there's uproar, uproar, and these aren't from vegans. They're just everyday folk going. Don't be so ridiculous. <laughs> of course we need plants. Like there's so many nutrients and vitamins and minerals, and you know you've got to have your plate full of coloured stuff. You've got to have as many colours on your plate as possible. It's ten, ten or so servings of fruit. That's what you've got to have, Steve. It's in the textbook. Uh, my nutritionist told me that. You know the the internet tells me that. The media tells me that. Everyone I ask will agree with me. Therefore, it must be true. And you must be wrong. You're smoking something. And then you push it one step further and saying, oh, red meat's good for you. <laughs> uh -huh. And they're like, don't be so ridiculous. Red meat causes cancer, raises cholesterol. You're going to die heart disease. Good luck to you. I'm not following you. I'm actually going to eat less meat because I want to save the planet. And then you just go, whoa. <laughs> this, there, there is such resistance because everyone's in their echo chamber of believing nutri uh, nutritional conventional wisdom to be fact, to be gospel. And it's self-perpetuating because it's everywhere. It's through marketing, it's through sales, it's through industry, it's through education, it's through common common law, right? Common understanding. It almost feels like it's like me suggesting there's gravity, you know, being Newton saying they're suggesting there's gravity before people mm -hmm. believe in it, or suggesting there's a far out world called Australia before we ever saw it, <laughs> or that the flat or the world may be round. Like yeah. it, it feels like it's that kind of paradigm that people are unwilling to accept as a potential truth. Are you finding that, or do you feel in your community, maybe in the states, in the pockets of California that you kind of hang around in, that the the tide is changing? Well, no, the tide is not changing yet, and I do feel like. I am one of these crazy people because in I'll go to say a conference and I think, wow, everyone gets it, right? People, you know, there's a 2000 people here and they all are hundred percent on the same page as me. And then I go out for the next six months and nobody knows what I'm talking about. Everyone thinks I'm insane. And, and then I realize that I, I just have created my own little echo chamber sometimes yes. of people who actually understand this. So 99% of the world does not understand this. And I actually was going to draw some comparisons to the, the exactly what you just mentioned in the film of saying, you know, maybe we're at the point where we're suggesting that the earth is round and that we're suggesting that, you know, there's gravity. This kind of thing is these big paradigm shifts are something that I think is happening right now. And it's hard. It, you know, it's like you have to fight this uphill battle. And, and I think... It's so what's weird to me is that it's almost exactly opposite on all accounts of what we thought. And that that's a little weird to me. I'm like, why, why is it so opposite? Why is it every single thing that that mainstream nutrition has told me is exactly opposite? Fiber, heart healthy whole grains. How about people do a lot better when they don't eat fiber and they don't eat these grains? 
How about people do a lot better when they only eat red meat? The thing that you said was bad for them and was going to kill them. How, how come we have tens of thousands of people completely reversing tons of, of whole array of diseases, right? You can go to meatheals.com or, you know, listen to Sean Baker, anything that he posts out is these real stories of people, Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson, just curing themselves of so many things. Why, why is this so opposite? And I don't know, I don't have a good answer for you of just how wrong we've been, but it, it's kind of like, it, it's a pendulum swinging. It's a, maybe it's, it's we, we, we have to swing back the other way because we got it so wrong. We, we had so many bad ideas that I think it's, we did everything under this light. I think that's part of it is if you do all this research under the light of we need to have tons of fiber and tons of carbohydrates to fuel ourselves, right? Everything that we've done has been under the this, we thought we needed them. So when you start to take out all that, then everything does flip. It's almost 180 degrees. We're like, wait, we didn't need any of this. We don't need glucose to survive. It's like the paradigm changes, right? So it's a very slow moving process to, to reverse it all. And I think that's why it's so opposite because it's so opposite of what we thought. Well, I mean, I was, I was thinking back at, I'm going to get my history wrong here, Brian, but I know there have been really intelligent scientists uh, that have said something profound, but wacky and have been imprisoned or killed, right? Because mm-hmm. they, and, and I'm not even going to claim to re- recall, uh, but I know there's some famous ones that it could have been about, you know, round earthers. I can't remember, or, or I know Newton got a lot of flack for describing gravity, you know, just con, you know, completely condemned yeah, yeah. As, a, as a madman. Um, but that's happening today, right? Because you've got, um, is it Tim Noakes? Professor uh, Tim Noakes yeah. put on trial. Gary, Dr. Gary Fetley has put on trial. There's yes. For, for oh, breath to suggesting low low carb diets, right? And people are yeah. gunning for them to to you know imprison them or fine them or turn off their practice because they're reporting something that goes against quote unquote the grain. Uh, excuse mm-hmm. the pun, but it's going against the the system. I mean that that for me that's when things start to smell a bit fishy. Yeah, well, it's hard when you're you're challenging everyone's beliefs, right? And you, is imagine everything you've ever done in your life was wrong and people aren't going to just readily admit that but it's it's amazing that guys like professor tim noakes have actually admitted this that's what's so great about his story he wrote a book about carbohydrate fueled athletics he wrote the book the lore of running you know he was high carb athlete his whole life and then he publicly ripped out those pages and said i was wrong you know and, and not everyone can do that where they like imagine if you studied all this stuff, you're, you know, you're a PhD, you've done all these papers on how we need, you know, glucose and this and that, and then it's all wrong. Well, that's not cool. Because <laughs> then also admitting that you've been wrong and that your career is kind of a waste, but you're also admitting that I've hurt people, that this is part of the cause of all these chronic disease and, and obesity and type 2 diabetes and cancers and Alzheimer's because of what I did. So no one's going to say that. And so you're just going to have these fringe people like us that are 
you know, desperately trying to fight back and we look crazy, but I'm convinced I'm hundred percent. I'm not hundred percent convinced I'm correct on everything, but I'm hundred percent convinced that 10, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and just laugh, cry, (laughs) hold our heads in our hands in shame of what happened during this time period. It was this great mistake of where we went against what is just a natural human diet. We, we just think about it. It's like, we're, we're just thinking these processed foods are better for us than what nature can provide. It's really crazy. If you just think about that for a second, it's like a couple hundred years ago to a couple million years ago, what were we eating? The 99.9% of human existence, what we were eating. Yet we think we know now through modern technology and processing techniques and the science that we've just done in the past six years, somehow we are going to know better than what has happened for all of history. And so I think we're just going to look back whenever we figure this out, you know, hopefully these, you know, these people like Professor Tim Noakes are doing it on a world scale and, and getting this information out there that they'll be remembered as the people that, that started this and that 20 years from now, we will look back and be like, well, what a crazy time. Look at how many people were sick. And I think it's just going to be an anomaly. And I think the likes of, you know, Ted Naiman and Ken Barry and Tim Noakes, um, Gary Fetter. I mean, they, these people are, they've got humility. Um, they've got intelligence and humility and a willingness to say that they were wrong and a willingness to go against uh the system potentially get, you know, labeled as a as a quack or, or or a crazy or, you know, potentially have damaging impacts to their livelihood. So you've got to yeah. commend people that are are, are willing to say they're wrong uh, and kind of go with, you know, the latest information, the anecdote, the people they're seeing are getting better. So I think we've kind of um, held back from calling this out long enough. Let's call out what you believe based on, you know, the years of research you've done, you know, the putting together of the film, your personal anecdote, what do you believe the optimal diet is? And then mm. maybe you can give us some flexibility around that where there's clearly alternatives to that, which are also pretty good. But what's optimal? Yeah, well, this is, this is all I think about. And this is all I've been trying to do. The whole film is trying to figure this out. What is optimal? What is the optimal human diet? And I've been calling it the sapien diet. And that this is what homo sapiens should eat. And I, and I've, I think it's a framework. So, you know, you can figure out what works for you based on your preferences, based on what, you know, medical conditions you have, maybe your cultural heritage and different practices and traditions. So what it is, it's based on three things, okay? It's nutrient-dense whole foods is number one, right? That that this takes into account bioavailability. So what are the most nutrient-dense whole foods? So for one, that we're getting rid of all the processed foods, right? Anything in a box or bag package. That's easy. Most people can agree on that. Just get rid of the processed foods. But what are nutrient-dense foods? Well, these are the animal foods. These are, we know, there's so many studies that show how things like spinach, the the there are different anti-nutrients block absorbability of the nutrients or we can't access this. If they look at the level of iron that we think is in spinach and then they look at the level of iron that's in the body after eat, eating it and it's fractions, right? It's it's 1%, 2%, something like that. 
We look at animal foods, we're getting, you know, 95% of that nutrition, right? So, so nutrient dense whole foods is number one. The least altered foods are the healthiest. Every time you alter a food, it gets in a way unhealthier because it, it either you're adding more, you know, empty calories, carbohydrates or stuff to it, or you're making it more palatable. This is another thing that people don't really understand is every time you you process something, you you add more flavor to it, you cook it, you do anything to it, it makes it more easier to eat. It makes it more flavorful. It makes it, right? So this is a whole kind of like a sidetrack discussion. But if you take, say, an almond, a, a raw almond could be great, but then you roast it and, and add salt and then it's even tastier. Then you roast it and add salt and then you add like barbecue flavor and, and then it's even better. And then you can grind it up and then use it into a cookie and add some sugar to it. And now you got an almond cookie and, and it's, it's even better. So you just think about, think about it in that way is the, the least altered foods are the best for you. And then there's a guy named Gabor Erdosi that puts together a lot of studies and research about this and shows that if you break down a food, that it actually affects your gut differently. And it'll, you know, like I used to make a lot of these kale shakes spinach and you know you're grinding up all this food it's really just like a load of sugar to your body even if you don't add a lot of sugar and it's also a load of oxalates and other bad things but it, it actually affects your your gut hormones differently and will cause more insulin and will cause just breaking down the fibers of foods especially plant foods actually changes them so that little detour was just to say that the more you alter a food you mechanically processing it adding flavors to it, cooking it even, the, the, the more you will overeat it and the and different effects it has on your body. Okay, so, so nutrient-dense whole foods. Number two is just look at, it's, it's, it's the macronutrient ratio kind of, right? So I say focus on protein, embrace fat, minimize carbs. It's very simple. Anyone can do that. Focus on protein. This is what is going to keep you full. This is giving you the building blocks of life, right? Protein is the best. Dr. Ted Nyman will tell you. <laughs> I, a lot of people will tell you about this. So Dr. Lehman will say the same thing as well, right? Don Lehman, yes, absolutely. So focus on protein. Minimize carbohydrate, right? It's like this is the one we don't need. This is the non-essential macronutrient. This is the one that has empty calories. This is the one that gives people problems. Many people have problems with gluten or different things going on. There's nothing really good about a car carbohydrate. You know, I, you said, I made a You call. said something there. You said there's no essential carbohydrate. I think we've got to pause on that for a second, right? Because there are oh, yeah. absolutely essential proteins, amino acids, and there are absolutely essential fats, right? You know, uh, omega, uh, omega-3s and the general essential fatty acids, both of these are essential. Without them, you know, our body doesn't function. We do need glucose. It is our fuel for, for running our body internally, but we don't necessarily need it exogenously, i.e. through our foods. And that needs to, we need to pause on that because is, is there any carb, any type of carb where we would say categorically body needs that? If we don't get that from a food, we don't survive. No, absolutely not. And, and it's in the literature. I... 
I pulled it out for the movie. I, I don't remember exactly where it's from, but there's, there's a quote in the scientific literature, there is no essential carbohydrate. There's no need for humans to eat carbohydrates, take them in, as you said, exogenously. Our body, the, the, little carbo, the little glucose that we do need can be made through gluconeogenesis from protein. And our, our brain can run off ketones, right? That's from fat. So our brain can run off mostly ketones and the, sum, the small amount of glucose it does need, it can get from the other macronutrients and make itself. It would be insane for our bodies to evolve to require these carbohydrates because we didn't have them always available, right? So our body can run for days. I mean, this is how fasting works, right? It's fasting is a evolutionary adaptation that made us human, made us survive. And it uses fatty acids and breaks them down into ketones and it can power our whole body. So... Yes, it was good. We, we paused on that for a second. So just know whatever you've heard from whatever cereal company or whatever, you know, Kellogg's trying to sell you some product or craft, you do not need carbohydrates and we should minimize them. If you're thinking about nutrient density, there's no reason to eat carbohydrates. I, I put out a call to all doctors, nutritionists, anyone. I, I said, any, tell me one reason why I should eat carbohydrates and I'll do it. And I, I've I've never heard of one. Right? There's no actual reason to eat them. I mean, other than I, they taste good. I guess I guess the the reasons I can think of are one, they're fillers, and I think we need to realize that you know <laughs> cheap carbohi- filler, yeah, carbohydrate of any form is a filler, and that's not a bad thing, right? Sometimes you 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 haven't got access, whether it be affordability or way back when, to literally scarcity of animal protein. Yeah. Uh, maybe you've just had a little bit. So we've, you know, we've just a little bit of animal protein. If you need more food, you're going to fill your plate with other things. So one, I think, you know, carbs, especially kind of starchy carbs, great fillers. But two, and I think, I think a lot of people uh, would say, but with the carbs come the micronutrients. And what do you say about that? Well, you you got to separate what carbs you're talking about. So you, so for one, I don't think we need all the nutrients that we thought we needed, right? So vitamin C is an example. If you're not eating a bunch of carbohydrate and glucose, we actually don't need much vitamin C, right? They're in competition with each other. So people, you know, if you look at example, sailors that got scurvy, well, they're eating hard tech. They're eating this bread. And then if uh, supposedly if you just ate fish, these, these sailors did not get scurvy because they were not eating all this glucose Right, and they didn't need as much, so they could get enough vitamin C from the fish, because animal foods do have bits of vitamin C, especially in liver. You, there is vitamin C in liver. So, so for one thing, we don't need maybe need all these macro, all these micronutrients that we thought we needed if we're not eating so many bad foods. <laughs> so, this may sound a little crazy, but I mean, we are looking at everything under this context of a mixed diet. And if we're not eating all these carbohydrates, then you actually need less. That's why people, less of these micronutrients, that's why people doing a carnivore diet are actually doing great, right? Because it ends up, it, meat has the correct amount of micronutrients. And it's just, you know what I'm saying? It's just kind of a, a harder discussion because I don't think we we should avoid these micronutrients. I think it's very important. But 
back to what you said is the carbohydrates, they, they come along with these micronutrients. You're talking about two different carbohydrates. So you can get non-starchy carbohydrates, right? Like, I mean, spinach comes with oxalates, but it actually comes with a lot of magnesium and different types of things. So you, you can eat vegetable foods and get micronutrients. Just choose ones that aren't full of sugars and starches. I would also say, and tell me if I'm wrong, wrong here, Brian, but my understanding is uh, to quote one of Paul Saladino's phrases, we are, we are running on very different operating systems. So whilst um, we've allowed through marketing, packaging and nutritional kind of uh, guidance on foods to say it's got X amount of XYZ vitamin and mineral, quite often it doesn't actually have that vitamin. It has a precursor of vitamin A, for example, and it's mm -hmm. through... Uh, digestion and having the right enzymes and having a healthy gut um, and consuming enough of it that you can convert some of these precursors to the active form that we need within our body. And I think that's across the board. Like we talk about omega-3s, for example, you get a little bit of omega-3s in flax seeds, but it's not the omega-3 DHA that our brain needs. We, poor, we poorly digest it and it comes straight through in our, in our poo. We can see it. Um, so it's poorly broken down but more importantly it doesn't it doesn't convert uh as we're led to believe to the actual you know the components of life that we need to run our operating system whereas when you consume meat hey we're we're consuming the flesh of another animal that has already gone through that process for us gives us the micronutrients in their active form that we need that we can actively use immediately without conversions and the ne necessity for enzymes um uh, diverse microbiome to break down certain things and and a good good healthy digestive tract you don't necessarily need all of those things in play is am i speaking out of turn or do you think there's some logic Absolutely. in that no that that's it that, that's huge that's huge and a, a lot of vegans especially don't understand this and and the big ones are like you said vitamin a and retinol you know these there, there's a different form of vitamin a in plant foods and then not all people are good at converting it that's another part of the story is that not everyone can convert the vitamin A in plant foods into the form that we can use. Same thing with vitamin K1 and K2. These are different vitamins. So vitamin K is just listed on plant foods and USDA data as here's all this vitamin K in kale. But guess what? That's not, that's vitamin K1 and that's not bioavailable to our bodies. It's not the same as the vitamin K2 that's found in meat. And then yes, DHA, huge one. Is the DHA is is not found in plant foods, right? No, it's you, only marine foods for the most part, right? Yes, the the highest amounts are in marine foods, and I mean, there's a guy, Dr. Stephen Cudain, that believes that our brains evolved because of marine foods. That it's a shore-based populations. That this is how we grew our brains. Is that he believes that a lot of the the populations living hundreds of thousands and millions of years ago were based around the shore or lakes or rivers and eating these highly uh, DHA, you know, rich foods. And then you've got things like B12, right? Uh, and then you've got, you know, iron availability in certain vegetables, and then you've got creatine. I mean, you go down the list, there's gaping holes if you took a plant-only approach to nutrition. But the worrying thing is somehow that's not, it's not featuring in the discussion. 
and obviously there's there's ideology and activism and other agenda and profit agendas that are kind of helping us believe that maybe that's not true but i just think it's uh, woefully um um i don't know it's it's disgraceful that we're allowing ourselves to believe believe a non-truth just because we yeah. really want to well i mean someone needs to make a movie about it and so <laughs> I, I decided to do i mean really that's the only answer is that yes that we're just backwards we've just we we've gone astray and no one there's no government agency that's just going to come out and say it there's no i don't know what better way to do it i mean people get on twitter and you know ted nyman and gary fetke and tim noakes all these people are doing the best they can nina teicholz is writing books gary tobbs writing books marxist and writing books I mean, what else can we do other than just spread it on our small platforms and, and make a film about it that just really lays it out? And so, I mean, Food Lies, that's really what it is. It's a 95-minute audiovisual thesis, right? What better way can I put all this information that I've learned for the past five years and get it all into the best format for people to actually watch and understand and enjoy? And to me, well, that's something on netflix right like yeah. that's what go to where people are people like to see movies and they like to watch netflix and they don't like to do a whole bunch of research and sit and read studies like i do all day and you know read books and and watch lectures so yeah we're, we're weird right let's let's accept that that role but in the benefit <laughs> of helping others but yeah that our obsession around the, the finer detail is is unnecessary for 99.9 percent .9 of the population because the truths are pretty simple but you need to arrive at the truth through complex interrogation you know critique you know challenging your own ideas and just consuming a balance of information across a number of sources so let's talk about so sources of information for a second brian you're putting out food lies um we'll get to kind of when and how in a second but in response to and again tell me if i'm wrong but it feels like it's in response to the main fuel of education as it relates to a plant dominant or a plant-based way of eating which are documentaries very popular documentaries such as cowspiracy sorry cowspiracy for cover knives and what the health and i've only just watched cowspiracy and for cover knives uh, just because I wasn't interested, but I watched What the Health uh, maybe mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. I was, uh, honestly, Brian, I watched Cowspiracy and it did move me. It mm -hmm. did make me think, shit, uh, no, we're, we've just been pushing too hard on this animal agriculture. Now, I had the balance of knowing a lot of it was bullshit. That mm -hmm. being said, I mean, it was, a, it was a convincing argument, a very convincing argument. And I think... Maybe I'm wrong, but I think for the majority of people, whether they are on the fence or they have already converted to a plant-based way of eating, I think the majority of people's facts, truths, and you know, cited bits of wisdom they they can't help but to share, you know, on social media, is stemming from these three documentaries. Because I see I see the same facts all the time in memes and you know little statements or rebuttals when I say something it's always the same fact, mm -hmm. and I know they're almost all exclusively wrong or highly questionable, and you know you just have to Google and I think this is what people miss in is you hear something you assume it's fact 
you're not willing to do any more research to see if it is fact you you know assume it is real and you then go run with it and it can change and move you emotionally whereas if you just simply search cowspiracy rebuttal you'll get a whole stream of videos and you know um, critiques that will dismiss much of the claims but if you don't take that next step you won't get the alternative perspective is how do you feel about this and and i guess the question is what do you see as the most commonly cited facts that are stemming from those documentaries mm. well the, the these documentaries have done so much damage to the world's health it's it's insane and the problem is that it's come from a good place like i feel for these people and i i know what you mean it's 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 not great to see animals killed it's not great to have to come to terms with our food system and our food system is messed up now but i mean just even coming to terms with eating an animal in general may be hard for some people especially when we're so disconnected and you know throughout history we've raised animals properly and we have been connected with them and we've thanked them and we have we have whole ceremonies around you know killing an animal and thanking it for its life and we get our nutrients from it and it and the, the cycle of life the circle of life and harmonious nature works but we're disconnected from that so that's that's one big thing is, is how disconnected we are so that people can't handle this anymore right and and so these people are are thinking they're doing good. They they think that they're coming from a good place, making these films and spreading this disinformation. And I think they know deep down that a lot of it is disinformation. I mean, I know they believe some of it, and they've people like to go in their echo chamber and just cherry pick and choose only the information that fits their line of thinking. But I, I just. Okay, if you take Cowspiracy, for example, they use one of the biggest pieces of information they use in the film was publicly retracted and completely untrue, where they were talking about transportation being a bigger contribution to greenhouse gases than animal agriculture. Okay, the other, w- other I, way around, right? That animal agriculture was oh, more yeah, yeah. than transportation. Exactly, the other emissions. way around, of course. So... The authors of that study, they used that from something called Livestock's Long Shadow, which was a report that looked at the life cycle analysis of those two industries. And the problem was they used every single input they could possibly think of for animal agriculture from every tractor that drove, you know, every piece of food grain that fed, was fed to a cow, which is a whole nother story of if, you know, we should be growing all these grains to feed cows, but they use all of that. And then for the transportation industry, they just use tailpipe emissions. They, they, they completely discluded everything that, that else that made that car and extracted the fossil fuels and just completely off. And Dr. Frank Midloner, actually a great PhD who's a greenhouse gas specialist who I've had on my podcast talked about this and he, he pointed it out. He, he's like, Hey, you guys are doing this completely wrong. And they publicly retracted this and they said, yes, we were, we were not correct at all. It's completely dis- deceiving. And now those numbers are still being used. There's one article. Like if you search 
uh, what, what would I search? Public livestock's long shadow or public retraction, anything around that. There's, there's like one article from like eight years ago. Like, you know what I mean? No it was, one, it no was one a very talks quiet about retra retraction yet. Very uh, quiet. quiet. It was out of the UK. Quiet retractions don't, don't then blow yeah. up and go into social media and go into media outlets and just go spread like wildfire. They, they just don't. No one knows this. It's the sensational, no the yeah. sensational kind of tags that you know people want to consume because that's generally how we consume news. But yeah, if, if information is uh, rebutted, that doesn't that doesn't get back to me because it's not sexy it's not interesting not at uh, all and it goes it's against gonna be proved wrong it's, it goes against what you believe it's it's so nice to believe that animals are bad for the environment it just seems we're, we're battling we're going uphill it's an uphill battle because they have these cute animals suffering it's the ultimate trump card that we don't have so yes animal agriculture is actually 3.9 percent of the greenhouse gases and that's in the, the transportation industry in is something right? what's that that's i think that's a u.s stat just to be that's clear, for the u.s the, yeah and, i think the global uh, stats a little higher yeah it's it's a little higher because the, globally they're not as efficient as the u.s in growing cattle but so yeah sorry i'm in this u.s mindset right now so it's it, for the u.s it's 3.9 percent and the transportation industry or all fossil fuel industries combined is 80 percent if you're looking at all the different you know, and, and the transportation is something like 20 something percent of that. So th there's no comparison between 3.9% animal agriculture and 20% transportation, but people still use it. And this whole film was based on those false numbers. A and you can't, you know, undo that film. I wish it was, would be taken off of Netflix, but no one's going to do that. So, yeah. So bad information is allowed to propagate almost in perpetuity because of its popularity and because people want to believe it. Uh, but when, yeah, when, when it's rebutted and there's a very sensible argument to suggest it's completely false, um, that doesn't feature, you know, it doesn't get taken down. It doesn't get redrafted. Uh, there isn't mass announcement in, in the press and through social media suggesting they got it wrong because there's no motive to do that. I get that. And, and I agree with you. I don't think we are governed by wholly malicious um, you know, beard stroking evil people that are trying to, you know, ruin the world. It's, I, I think the intent is right and pure. I just think the execution and the argument is, is, is flawed fundamentally. And that's mm -hmm. the reason I, I get, I, I feel strongly about, uh, joining you in this arms race of, um, countering the vegan discussion because it is so strong. It's so well organized. It's so well funded. Um, it, it seems to be, you know, the the shining star, the North Star on everything that is good about leading a good, wholesome, happy, uh, empathetic life to the planet. But the more I dig into it, some of your podcasts have been so revelationary and eye-opening, the more you realize that that is not the truth. And if you really care about the planet, if you really care about the least amount of suffering for animals, and if you really care about, you know, your your peers human species and you as an individual and your kids, you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror, unlearn some stuff, re-educate, and then form an opinion. Because I think if people go through that process, I think people would struggle to continue with the same belief system. Mm, absolutely. It's just 
it's just hard to take that first step and and kind of break down your old beliefs. But yeah, just as an overview and as sort of a preview, I'd say look at sustainable agriculture and look at farm mixed farming and no-till farming. Look at what Joel Salatin's doing, Gabe Brown. Look at Alan Savory. They're using animals to enrich Nourish. the soil. Nourish the soil. Put put nutrients back in the soil. But plant foods take from the soil. Animals give back. Right? If we don't give animal inputs like manure into the soil, we have to get it through fossil fuel-based fertilizers to get nitrogen back in the soil. So look at Lear Keith. Lear Keith is an amazing person, vegan, that completely lost her health and wrote a book called The Vegetarian Myth because she realized everything that she thought before was wrong. And very, very well, she takes down every single argument morally, environmentally, and nutritionally. That And she, that, she's so empathetic. I mean, I listened to your interview with her and I've seen her in a documentary. I think it was called Magic Pill. I can't remember exactly yeah, which she was. she was in Magic Pill, yeah. And I think she's, you know, at first glance, I'd just go, you know, a feminine activist. I think she's going to get be angry, but she's not. She's so no. empathetic. She's so sincere. She really cares. And she's allowed herself, you know, she's been, she's had enough humility to say, this wasn't right. My belief system was wrong. My ideology is guiding me down the wrong path. I still deeply care about, you know, the planet. I deeply care about animals. I deeply care about us as humans. But if I want to do this right, I've got to sign up to a different ideology, a different way of thinking, a different way of nourishing my body and, you know, nourishing the planet. And it's so refreshing to hear someone do that 180 on mm-hmm. on this whilst not turning her back on the principles. Her beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. her principles remain. Oh, so so we, we've just name dropped so many people, most of which I you've know. spoken to. I know, you have show notes. <laughs> Your show notes are going to be long, but I, I think this is a good way to do this is I've talked to so many amazing people and I'm trying to just curate and communicate this information. I'm not the one doing the research. I'm just trying to spread it. So I think it, I'm just trying to promote other people, right? And, and kind of synthesize this information to bite-sized pieces, get graphics, you know, put this in a graphical format and make it easy to understand. But really, we, people need to check out all these people we've mentioned and and do a deeper dive. So I, I think it's good that we're kind of just doing the, the, the highlights and the broad strokes, and then you got to dive deep into all these people. Absolutely, absolutely, man. So last question before we, we just close on the the film so people can get a sense of when to get excited about it, when it's going to come through. My last question, and I think it's important to, to, to cover this, is, you know, we, we sound very biased. We mm-hmm. do, because we feel both very strongly about what we've learned, and what we believe to be true. And that doesn't sound too dissimilar to um, someone who wants to follow a vegan um, way of living. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can sound very similar, almost zealots-like in, in our belief system. So I need to check myself and make sure I have the flexibility to consider alternative viewpoints. And the alternative that I kind of want to push t- towards you now is you look at the likes of uh, the Happy Pair, Dublin-based uh, duo uh, who who just seem to be doing really well. They've been vegans for a very long time, very popular following, uh, mm-hmm. lots of cookbooks. You look at uh, Rich Roll, uh, endurance athlete, seems to be thriving, 
generally doesn't seem to have health issues or but we don't know we haven't looked inside him uh, and you see other examples of people that have chosen a vegetarian or i wouldn't say vegetarian a plant-based a vegan diet uh, strongly stand behind their decision and believe it's sustainable for them for optimal health and wellness and performance and then you add the additional layer of the people like dr gundry who are definitely plant dominant in his recommendations you look at the medical medium who's got this celery juice diet thing and i just blows my mind with how ridiculous that sounds <laughs> you've got um dr terry walls who i know she eats meat but she she says she's you know yeah, well, she's a lot of organ meat she eats a lot of nutrient dense organ meats and bone broth yes and she does fish. she does but that's not necessarily the the lion's share of what you see in her feed what you know she seems mm -hmm. to be like engaged with plants a lot and it's easy to take that message and say she's you know she's she's pro plants as medicine and food you hear you hear of dr gregor uh hyman i know talks a lot about you know the need for plants so it's very easy to say yep i hear everything that Stephen Bryan have been saying and you know animal based food is just the best for you but i can just go and look at 10 other different instagram feeds or popular well educated well-regarded individuals that would say the absolute opposite. How do we help individuals work through that paradox, that dichotomy of two different ways of thinking about nutrition? Because they're not even similar. Mm, yeah, this is something I've wrestled with for years and tried to figure out. It's exactly right because it is so opposite and people love to point out, especially to me, to try to prove, prove me wrong. And my response is, that's why I, I don't believe in one specific diet. I believe in a framework. And I actually never finished saying the Sapien framework, Sorry, which man. is make up. Oh, no, no, we, we got we went down some great rabbit holes. But really, there you have to make your own decisions on the ratio of animal foods to plant foods. And that's up to you. And that's up to your health. And if you have autoimmune diseases, maybe you need to have less if you have less plant foods, maybe if you have a disrupted gut, right, and and have some of these things. You, you can't have these antagonistic plant foods for a while, or at least you know, at least for a while. Maybe you need to go on an elimination diet. But it, it's up to you for one thing, and two is that yes, everyone is a bit different. But I think that the common themes is the nutrient density part, and I think vegans can find a way to do nutrient density and to get all these vitamins and minerals. But it's just way harder. So if you're looking at these sort of exceptions to the role I see them as is rich role or these popular vegans. I think these are the people that are focusing on it so much, doing so much math and calculations and spreadsheets of, okay, did I get my omega-3 precursors today? Did I eat enough flax seeds? And they're weighing things, measuring it, things out. Or even a guy like Rich Roll is so active, he can eat so much food because he's active that he is getting enough nutrients just by sheer volume, but he's he not getting weight. You can have 5,000 calories. Yeah, it's like if you get, get 5,000 calories. Nutrients through that. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I would say. It's like people point to a vegan bodybuilder. I'm like, well, okay, the first 20 years of their life, they were eating animal foods. Yes. And that was their baseline. And then they became vegan. And two is they're eating so much volume of food that yes, you can get enough nutrients, I guess, but normal people are just would end up getting fat, or they would just remain skinny and not get enough. Yeah, be deficient. So so unless you're gonna make it your job to find out every balance of complete protein, you know, using combinations of different quinoas and rice and beans and this, that, 
you're not going to get it right. So I think some people can get it right if you if you try hard enough. And some people are different, right? Some people have the genetics to be better at at absorbing the vitamins and minerals from plant foods. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. You're not disproving anything. That's why I, I've never gone down this carnivore route. I'm I'm I've never said I'm carnivore. I'm not going down the keto route. I don't believe everyone needs to be eating a ketogenic diet or being ketosis. I think there's this framework of nutrition that's bringing, that's all I'm trying to do is what are the unifying themes? What are, what are all good diets doing and what are all bad, bad diets doing? And then what are good diets avoiding, right? So all, I think all good diets avoid sugar, refined grains, and vegetable oils. And these are the things that Weston A. Price found as he traveled the world in the 1920s and looked at all these healthy native living populations and none of them ate the sugar, refined grains, and vegetable oils. And once they did, they became fat and sick. And what they all did is they ate nutrient-dense animal foods, especially around pregnancy. They all knew all these different cultures. He went to, you know, Micronesia. He went to Australia. He went up to the Swiss Alps. He went to Africa. And he found they had these same traditions. Completely isolated populations had the same traditions of eating nutrient-dense animal foods, organ meats, uh, you know, fat, bone marrow, Bit all the bits and pieces at nose to tail. This is what all of them did, especially on pregnancy, because they knew that this is what would produce healthy offspring, right? And, so and puberty as well, right? We we need we need all up, of that good. Yeah, while they're growing, grow. yeah, yeah. in the growth stages. So in development of children through puberty, through the development of pregnancy, right? This is these are all development stages. This is when you need these nutrients the most, and where we should be eating, you know, nose to tail, liver, all these different bits and pieces that our ancestors have, have always eaten. So, so, okay, so I've looked at all sizes, my whole goal. I'm gonna look at every single side. I'm gonna watch vegan videos. I'm gonna look at Weston Price. I'm gonna look at, you know, and, you know, two million year old ancestors, you know, what we did then. I'm gonna look at modern science. I'm gonna look at ritual. I'm gonna look at everything. And what do we find? Well, don't eat processed foods, sugar, refined grains, vegetable oils and do eat whole foods around nutrient density. So the, so back to the pillars of sapien framework would be the nutrient-dense whole foods, number one. Number two, focus on protein, embrace fat, minimize carbs. So, I mean, this, so not everyone has to do this exactly. Yes, you can point out people like Ritual that don't do that exactly, be, but they kind of are focusing on protein and they are embracing some fat because it, it is necessary. And he's just using carbs as his fuel source. So maybe not everyone needs to minimize carbs, but he's probably minimizing bad carbs and processed carbs, right? And then the last pillar, number three, would be don't always be eating. <laughs> it's condensed eating window, right? Let's. I think this is huge, that we aren't meant to be constantly eating. And so many people are finding great results from intermittent fasting, whatever you want to call it. It basically just means don't always be eating. Don't put your body through this stress of always having to digest food. Give it some time to rest and recuperate. This is autophagy. Let your cellular cleanup happen, right? So, so if you do these simple things, I think anyone can find health and they can fit it into any dietary plan that, and strategy as long as they kind of follow these simple rules, right? You can be pescatarian and still be in this sapien framework and still be 
healthy and happy, right? It's just as you're getting these nutrient-dense animal marine foods from the fish and oysters or, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, I don't I, think... I would, I would add a fourth, um, uh, not because I'm a complexity guy. <laughs> I've always got to add uh -huh. one more. <laughs> but I have the add... rule of threes. You're ruining the rule of threes. <laughs> <laughs> I would add a, add a fourth, and I don't know whether you agree, but I, I feel that there is a, there is a need uh, and, and a need that we've always acknowledged through time which is to reduce the toxicity in the foods that we eat. So mm. not only get nutrient dense, not only favor protein, uh, embrace fat, minimize carbs, not only just uh, eliminate you know, the processed junk that we know is not good for us, uh, including the vegetable oils, sugar, uh, and um, what was the third? Wheat. Refined grains, grains yeah. Uh, but I also think that we need to be conscious that our ancestors and we continue to do it today we need to limit the toxicity of the foods that we do choose and because if you don't add that fourth you can go on a raw ve vegan diet and that is not good for health and mm. you see so many women so many women especially women and I'm, I'm wondering why it's probably more more like they're just more sensitive to hormonal changes than guys but you see so many women that are coming out of the woodwork over the last year or so you know, basically describing their spiraling health conditions, um, mm -hmm. you know, crumbling nails, losing hair, terrible skin, losing their um, uh, their periods, get, getting be, being pre-menopausal at like 25. You hear all these horrible conditions that seem to be, you know, turned around in a couple of weeks of just getting animal-based fat and protein back in their diet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of these people doing raw, and I think that's that's got to be a pillar of this framework, which is if you're going to eat foods that have toxic compounds, uh, lectins, things that could otherwise be bad for us and antagonistic, whilst you might quote you might say they're hormetic to some degree, there's 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 toxicity you need to eliminate. Hence the reason we cook our potatoes. Hence the reason we we typically cook our peppers, and we should always cook our mushrooms. Uh, we we have to go through a process of, process of denaturing our food to some degree. If we don't want to deal with the burden of the toxicity, do you do you think that's viable? That's or do you think great. that that could actually be ignored and still lead a healthy life? No, I I think that's huge. I, mean, I think you may have just changed my mind, changed my <laughs> little nice rule of threes. <laughs> because uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that fits into other ones. That that is really important, and not a lot of people think about it, especially in our modern day. That. Like we said earlier, our ancestors spent hours and days preparing these plant foods for consumption with soaking, fermenting, all these kind of things and or pressure cooking or slow cooking and all this stuff. And that yeah, that and seasonally, eating seasonally too. So I guess that's a way of detoxifying is not eating them all the time, which is of course what we did. We had no access to certain foods if they weren't in season throughout all of history. So part of the problem why we're gaining all these health conditions is because spinach is available every day of the year. And if you eat spinach every day of the year, you're going to get kidney stones. Like we know how oxalates work and oxalic acid and binding with calcium in producing these stones. This is one example, right? Just with any kind of anti-nutrient plant, if you're doing it every day, that's going to become a problem. So I think yeah. that's a great framework great framework i'm gonna make sure i jot that down after this and make sure it's in the show notes and if you have any graphics to support that um yeah do share it because uh, i'm going to be pointing our listeners to your instagram feed i'm going to be pointing them to uh, your podcast which i mean uh, 
do you, do you want to talk just just for a second just to let people know you know what your podcast is where it is and then yeah. most importantly tell us about this film and when it's going to be released okay yeah so foodlies.org is the film it's going to be released this summer it's been a couple years of work it's my life's thesis it's like my life's work is is getting it all in this film and getting it hopefully on netflix getting it somewhere online you can support it on indiegogo just go to foodlies.org and, and you can look around the site. And while I do this, I'm doing the Peak Human podcast. And again, this is like my life's work. I feel like it's all I really think about is, is just getting this information across and how can I get the best people to do the best interview and and while this film's being made, do a more long-form version of this information. So peak-human dot com or you know just search for it on any podcast app it's peak human that's p-e-a-k human and i mean there's so much great information out there there really is man i absolutely love it it's it's become my favorite podcast and i, I, I listen to a lot of um podcasts in our space of health nutrition wellness exercise yours has come up to to, to be in the top three perhaps even in the number one or two spot oh, so you're doing such you. a such a great <laughs> job man um and you are on instagram uh, is it food.lies food.lies food on instagram yeah i'm putting out stuff every day almost these little ideas i have or graphics or a lot of, a lot of good stuff happening there a lot of good discussions in the comments and yeah Cool. And um, just before we get this uh, fully wrapped up, you said that there are a couple other you know, things that you work, you're working on that maybe guys want to hear about. Maybe your, yeah, the beef that you're trying to offer, offer oh, the yeah. US, and also your uh, practice, the physician service. I'm yeah, not I'm entirely doing, sure about that. What they yeah, is, I'm partnering with the physician. So I've kind of taken this all this health stuff on is my whole life and trying to figure out how to make it work. So it's a film, it's the podcast, it's the meat company, org. So yeah, if you're in the States, you can get, we delivered to all 50, oh, well, all contiguous 48 States. We have grass-fed meat, a partner with a rancher who's doing, you know, I thought what better way to try to support myself and support the podcast instead of pushing other people's products. I, I would like to push something I actually believe in and, and we make, we put liver in the meat and all that kind of thing. And then, yeah, the sapien, just sapien.org has this all. Uh, I'm working with a doctor and we're doing a health program and we're building technology to help people track and manage their, their blood markers, their weight, uh, their activity, all these things and lose weight and gain health. And, you know, people would work with their doctor, work with health coaches and, and communicate with them and, and stay on track. You're doing so much good work, man. And someone who's not, you know, come through the ranks of, you know, nutrition or through being a doctor, uh, and but you found a place of significant value. And I do think that in today's day and age, um, anyone can become a relative expert because they've got you know, people that are creating their life's work in books and podcasts and videos and articles. And if you're an avid consumer of information, you are consolidating that that wisdom into one brain. <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. connecting the dots through the 50 books you've read and all the interviews you've heard and, you know, listening to your stuff and everything else. People got the opportunity to surpass your knowledge, to surpass the knowledge of the experts that you speak to through this 
this opportunity of consolidating and consuming information and attaching connections, which perhaps those individuals in those fields don't see because they're so myopic on their areas of expertise. So I see that in you. And hence the reason I think you're incredibly valuable. But I think people too can follow your path, get enough knowledge to run a good life for themselves, but perhaps get excited about this and, hey, join this bottoms up arms race of trying to convince the world there's a better way of living optimally and caring for our planet. And I think that's what you're doing. Such a great job, man. So listen, I wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for a riveting discussion Brian, we could have carried this on for hours, but um, (laughs) I don't know if people have got the patience for any more. But thank you so much for your time, man. I know you're a busy guy and um, I will make sure to ensure that everything we spoke about, all the individuals we spoke about are referenced in the show notes so they can start exploring this a little bit more. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you so much for letting me talk about all this stuff. And yeah, let's, let's make some changes. Let's do it, man. Take care. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.